Our dear Heavenly Father, we want to give thanks to you for your word and ask now that you open your word to us and um, by your spirit, please help us to understand it and to trust and obey you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, do you ever find it hard to trust in God? Now, I was talking to a friend the other day and she was telling me that her sister was diagnosed with cancer and she told her sister, trust God, pray, but nothing happened. And uh, in the end, her sister actually died. Now, if this happened to you, what kind of thoughts would go through your head? You, know, you might think, well, doesn't God know that I've been trusting in Him? I've tried really hard. How come He hasn't done anything? How come He doesn't care? You know, is there any use praying to God? Well, we may not have gone through an experience like that ourselves, but we too sometimes uh, may ask questions like this. You know, why doesn't God seem to respond to my prayers? Uh, is it worthwhile to continue trusting in God? Now, in today's passage, Deuteronomy 8, we see two stumbling blocks to trusting God. There are two things that can weaken our faith in God and stop us obeying God. And the first thing is when we go through hard times in life. So, I'll read to you from verse 1 to verse 5. Verse 1. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Now if you remember, Moses is now speaking to the new generation, right? Because the previous generation had... Uh, disobeyed God and refused to enter the land and God made them wander in the desert for 40 years and they all died in the desert. But Moses is now speaking to their children who are standing before him. And Moses reminds them that they also had to go through the desert for 40 years. Now, I've never lived in a desert but I'm sure it's not pleasant. Okay, Look at the description in verse 15. It says, he led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land, with its venomous snakes and scorpions. Uh, that's really not my idea of fun at all. But God did not say that He put them in a desert to punish them. Yes, He punished their fathers for their rebellion. But God said to them, You were in the desert, not because I'm being cruel to you, but in order to humble you, and to test you, and to teach you, and to discipline you. And what does it mean that God was humbling them? You know, we are all people who, who tend to think that I don't need God, I can do everything on my own. You know, we are, we are people who are very independent, we don't like depending on people, we want to be self-sufficient, self-reliant. And when we succeed without help from others, then we are very pleased with ourselves and we are proud of our achievements. And we pride is 
what says to God, I don't need you God, I can do it very well on my own, thanks very much. But you see, the trouble is that we do need God. Now our life, our very breath comes from God and if God was to stop sustaining us for a second, we would instantly drop dead. We owe everything to Him, our strength, our health, our money, we owe life itself to God. And yet we can so easily turn away from God, turn against God and pretend that we're independent of Him. So some people say uh, Christianity is, or religion in general is a, is a crutch for weak people. You know, Karl Marx said that uh, religion is the opiate of the masses. So people who are, who are strong and self-reliant, they, they don't need God, but it's only those weak people who need to kind of lean on something, they need God. Now, for the people of Israel, they were also tempted to think that they didn't need God. Now, in verse 17 later on, we'll see that when everything was going great for them, what were they tempted to think? They would think, hey, aren't I great? You know, I built up all this wealth for myself, all this greatness by my own hands. And we also can be like that. We also can feel proud of our lives. So, where do you see your significance? And what achievements do you think you know, are your main and defining, uh, defines your identity? So maybe it's your career, maybe it's your assets, maybe it's your um, academic ability, your, your sporting ability, maybe it's you know, you're very good at cooking or some other skill that you have or even your children. Okay, whatever it might be, these are the things that we feel proud about and we feel that we have achieved those things on our own. And the, but the thing is, sometimes the more we feel proud of our achievements, the less we think that we need God. So sometimes God needs to humble us by, making us, uh, by putting us in a situation where we completely need to depend on Him. He needs to humiliate us almost to see, to show us that we can't rely on our own strength but we need to trust in Him. What God did with Israel was He put them in a situation where they totally had to trust in Him. He put them in the desert for 40 years. And they were hungry. And they couldn't go to the local hawker center or to the supermarket and buy something to eat. See, they couldn't hunt anything. There was nothing. There was no water to dig out of a well. There was nothing they could do. They couldn't go to Orchard Road to buy clothes for themselves or shoes. See, they were totally at the mercy of God. And all they could do was to receive with thanks the manna that God gave to them every day. See, every day for 40 years when they woke up, they would have just enough manna to last for that day. And God made water come out of rocks for them. And God gave them clothes and shoes that lasted for 40 years without breaking down. I can't imagine. See, the, the lesson could not have been any clearer than this. The lesson is, it's God who provides. It's God who provides. It's not by your own strength. None of this, would have, you would have had none of this by your own strength. Now verse 2 says, God put Israel in the desert, not only to humble them, but at the same time, also to test them. See, he's sending them a challenge to find out what is really in their hearts. He wants to know what they really mean. Whether, what, whether their words are consistent with their actions. 
Now, I'm no expert in chemistry, but I believe that uh, a, a pure metal melts at a higher temperature than an impure metal. Okay, so if you want to test whether something is pure, you can't tell by just looking at it. You actually have to throw it in the fire. Okay, and if it's at the right uh, temperature, it will melt, and then you can test the purity of the metal. Now, the thing is, God sometimes has to throw us in the fire, because when life is easy, it's so easy to say, yeah, God, I love you, and I trust you, and you know everything's going well. But when life is not going well, when it's tough, then it is hard to love God. We have to make sacrifices in order to keep trusting God and obeying God. And then, God will know whether we really love Him. When God tests us, He wants to know what is, what is, if we really trust Him, or whether we're just in church for what we can get out of it. He wants to know if we truly love Him, or we just love the things that He can give to us. He wants to know who is really at the center of our lives. Is it Him, or is it us? God doesn't test us because He wants us to sin. Okay, so... Uh, I don't know if you guys have watched uh, any movies with race, uh, exciting races. So for those of you who are older, you might have seen Ben Hur, okay, where with the chariot race. Those of you who are younger might have seen uh, Phantom Menace from Star Wars, okay, with the pod race. Now, whatever it is, in each movie, there's uh, there's a race between two rivals, a good guy and a bad guy, okay. So the good guy could be Ben Hur or could be Anakin Skywalker. He was still kind of good then. Now, the thing is that in both cases, the good guy's friends are on the sidelines cheering them on. You know, every time they search ahead, they'll cheer. Every time they fall behind, they'll kind of groan. But the bad guys, whenever uh, the, the good guy's doing well, they're trying to kind of trip them up. They're trying to do stuff to, you know, to cheat and so on. And when the, the good guy is doing badly, they are cheering. See, God is wanting us to win the race. When God puts us in a test, He's cheering us on. But on the other hand, Satan is trying to trip us up and trying to get us to fail the test. Look at verse 16. It says, He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something that your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. So whenever God tests us, it's for a limited period. He always has a good purpose in mind. He wants us to end up better than what we started off as. But the thing is, you know what? God's time scale may not be the same as our time scale. So we often think of only this short life that we live. And we think, okay, you know, God tests me. When is He going to remove the test from me? But sometimes God... God is testing us for our eternal good. And sometimes the test needs to last our whole life. And it might only be till the time we die when God finally thinks that's enough for us. See, but God, you know, God wants us to be holy and pure. That's His objective. Not our comfort necessarily. So how easy it is for us when times are going tough to, to blame God, to doubt God, to feel He's not there for us. But God has led us into that situation, not for our comfort, but in order to humble us, to test us, and to teach us, to train us. So don't take the short-sighted, the short-term perspective on life. Take God's perspective. 
Now verse 3 says that God's humbling and testing is to teach His people a particular lesson. That is, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now God's word comes to us as both promise and command. When God speaks, He either promises to give us something, or He commands us to live His way. And so to live on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord means to take His word seriously, to take His promise seriously, to take His command seriously. It means to hang on to His word as though your life depended on it, which actually it does. So living by God's word means to live, to trust in His promises and to obey His commands. Now we must live by God's word of promise and not on bread alone. That is, God has promised to supply all of our needs, including food. And therefore, we need to trust God to provide the necessities of our lives. But also we must live by God's word of command. That is, life is not just about food, about bread. Food is a necessity, but there is more to life than food or other necessities like drink, shelter, clothing. Life is ultimately about doing what God wants. See, bread will keep us physically alive, but it's trusting God's word and doing God's word that gives us spiritual life and eternal life. So we cannot and we must not live on bread alone. We don't look for our ultimate security in food or clothes or houses or money. We look for our ultimate security in God. Now God tested even Jesus to, to see if he had learned this particular lesson. So I'll show you on, on, the, on the PowerPoint. In Matthew chapter 4, a well-known passage, I'll read it to you. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Just like God led Israel into the desert for 40 years, God led Jesus into the desert for 40 days and nights. Just like God tested Israel by making them go hungry in the desert, God tested Jesus by making him go hungry in the desert. And when Jesus did not use his powers to turn stones into bread, he was showing that he trusted God. You see, God was the one who put him in the desert, and he was showing that he trusted that God was good towards him, even though God put him in the desert and he hadn't seen a slice of bread for 40 days. See, Jesus knew that we need to trust in God's provision and goodness to us. He knew that being faithful and obedient to God is more important than food and more important than satisfying our bodily needs. So let us learn from Jesus' example. and Let's learn to be content to live by God's word and to live by God's will. Now as God humbles and tests and teaches us, He's all the time disciplining us for our benefit. Now, I haven't got any children, uh, but my, my sister has got a young boy, very cute boy. And if he does something naughty, she has to 
scold him or, or you know or stop him from misbehaving. And that would often make him upset and he would start crying. Now I'm sure it's not easy for the parent to make your child cry and upset them, right? You'd rather be all happy and so on. But a loving parent doesn't just turn a blind eye to bad behavior because their goal is to discipline the child to, to, for their character. So sometimes, even though it doesn't give a parent any pleasure, they do it because they love the child. It's for their good. It's to teach them. And so this is what God does to us. You see, he doesn't discipline us because he's a cruel, sadistic God who just loves to see us being miserable. But God does it as a loving Father who wants to get rid of all the ugly stuff in our character and to make us godly and pure and strong in our faith. Now God is in the business of breaking down our proud and self-reliant hearts. And when life is going well, we think we're in control, we don't really need God. And sometimes God has to reduce us to this helpless state to realize that we actually need to depend on God. And sometimes God needs to take away all the things that we rely on so that we will trust in Him alone. And His purpose is not to destroy us. His purpose is to discipline us. So do you feel that you're in a difficult time in your life right now? Maybe you have a problem at school, a problem at work. You know, you, you feel that God is far away. Maybe it's a problem with a relationship, it's a problem with your spouse, your children, your financial uh, problems, your health problems, not having a life partner, whatever it might be. You feel that God doesn't really care. He's not listening. Why has He made my life so difficult? Well, it's not that God doesn't care. He's put you there on purpose where you are. See, He wants to humble you so that you realize that you need Him. And he wants to test you to see if you really love him. And he wants to discipline you as his beloved child. And he wants to teach you to trust in him alone. But you might say, oh, but I do trust in God. I do trust him, but how come he still doesn't answer my prayers? He doesn't take away the hardships in my life. Well, actually, trusting God is not necessarily mean uh, that we'll get what we want. Sometimes we don't want to trust God 100% precisely because we refuse to let go of what we want. See, our goal is, like I said, our goal is our own comfort, our happiness and our security. But God's goal is our godliness, our Christ-likeness and our eternal good. So if God doesn't give us things, sometimes we don't want to trust Him anymore. But God is using this life as a training ground for the next. You see, in God's, in God's perspective, this life is very short. And what He's concerned about is eternity. He wants the best for us in eternity. And sometimes it means having to give us hardships in this life to achieve that greater purpose. Now sometimes people tell us, hey, hang on a minute, God doesn't want your life to be hard. God wants you to have health. God wants you to have wealth. God wants you to have comfort and security. God wants you to be strong and victorious. And they tell us, well, if your life is not that way, it's because some, something's gone wrong on your side. Okay? Maybe you haven't confessed your sin, or you haven't got enough faith, or you haven't claimed God's promises. 
Look at today's passage. That's not necessarily true. See, sometimes you can have all the faith in the world and still God might have you in the desert. But if that's the case, be patient and keep trusting in God. Be determined to trust Him no matter what and wait for God's timing. And recognize that God's timing might mean after death even in some situations. See, even the great apostle Paul in the New Testament had to go through great hardship. I'll read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Put it up here as well. Verse 7. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul prayed for God to take away this thorn in his flesh, which was probably some kind of illness or disability. But God did not choose to take it away. See, it's not because he didn't have enough faith. It's not because he had unconfessed sin. It's, only because, it's because only when we are weak do we realize that we need God's strength. We have no choice but to trust in God. And only then do we completely give ourselves up to God. See, when our strength has come to an end, then only do we experience God's power. And God's power is enough for us. It's enough to help us endure all the difficulties that we face in our lives. And God's grace is all that we need. God's power is clearest to us at our weakest moment. So hang in there, keep trusting God, don't give up and don't lose your confidence in God. Now having difficulties in life can be one stumbling block to obeying God. But there's something else in today's passage which can draw us away from God. And I'll read to you from verses 6 to 14. Verse 6. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in His ways and revering Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, with vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. And when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. Now, after the desert experience, God brought the people of Israel into the promised land, the land of Canaan. And this land was the complete opposite of the desert. There was no water in the desert, but here they have plentiful water. There was no food in the desert, but here they have food of every description. 
They had plenty of everything. It was their uh, mineral resources. It was truly the best conclusion to the desert experience that they could ask for. And if you were an Israelite then, maybe you think to yourself, well, you know, finally those 40 years of testing are over. Now God has finally taken away our hardship. I can relax and enjoy life. But is the time of testing truly over? Well, actually, no, I don't think so. See, the good times are just as much a test of our faith as the bad times. See, when we are in bad times, the temptation is to resent God and not wanting to trust in God. But in the good times, the temptation is to forget God and to want to trust in ourselves. See, both the good times and the bad times can turn us away from God. Now, in, in the verse 10, in the NIV translation, it says, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. Now, the NIV gives us the gist of the meaning, but if you look at the original Hebrew and maybe some of the other translations, we find a very interesting point. In fact, in the Hebrew it says, When you have eaten and are satisfied, and when you praise or when you bless the Lord your God for the good land He has given you, then be careful that you do not forget the Lord. So the difference is, in the NIV, praise the Lord is a command from Moses, but in the Hebrew it says, praise the Lord is actually a statement of what will happen. Moses is not uh, commanding them to praise the Lord. Moses just assumes that naturally they will praise God when they go into the land. But after saying that, Moses says, be careful, you do not forget the Lord. So Moses is saying that you know, when you go into the land, you praise God, but then don't forget God. You see, praising God does not mean that you haven't forgotten God. And praising God doesn't mean that you, know, you show true gratitude to God. Because sometimes we can have lip service to God and we can say all the fine things, but we don't actually show it in action. We don't actually obey. So the passage is saying that when you get to enjoy your rich food, when you get to enjoy your great wealth and your fine houses, then in your head and with your lips, you could come to church and say, oh, I praise God for all the things that He has given to me. But the temptation is to secretly whisper in your heart what verse 17 says. It says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Verse 18, but remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms His covenant which He swore to your forefathers at it is today. Now you might have friends, non-Christian friends who say to you, you know, why do you say thanks to God for your food? Right? Why do you keep praying for food? I mean, come on, you are the one who, who works so hard anyway to get the money to buy the food. So what has God got to do with all that? He didn't give it to you. You know, you got it to your, for yourself. Don't bluff yourself. You know what? Sometimes we Christians can also think like that. And we can say, we can think to ourselves, well, I didn't see any manna dropping from heaven for me. You know, I'm not so lucky. Right? I have to work hard with my own hands and earn a living and feed myself. But just because you had to work hard for it doesn't mean that God didn't give it to you. Now, verse 18 says that it's God who gave you the ability to work and to produce wealth. You know, even if you have strong hands, your wealth depends on so many other things that are outside your control. So for the Israelite, it depended on not, there not being any drought, no famine, no wars. And for us, it depends on 
economy. It depends on having good government. It depends on the job market. It depends on so many things that we cannot control. Don't ever kid yourself that your strength and intelligence alone are enough to gain you wealth. God is the one who blesses us and He gives us the means of producing wealth. But it is still a gift from God. Now in verse 11 we read, Be careful that you do not forget. In verse 18 again we read, Remember, remember the Lord your God. Now forgetting, what is forgetting? Forgetting God means to take for granted all of His benefits to us. Forgetting God means that we take credit for everything that God gave to us and become proud and self-sufficient in our hearts. Forgetting God is pushing God out of our minds instead of acknowledging Him. So are you a forgetful person? Well, if you do not thank God for all the things that He's blessed you with, then you are a forgetful person. Or if you do not obey God, then you are a forgetful person. And we are a forgetful people who always need to be reminded constantly. So how can we remember? How can we fight this forgetfulness? Well, this passage today tells us that when you are in a good land, remember the time when you were in bad, in a bad situation. Remember the time of the desert. See, for Israel, they needed to remember firstly that they were helpless slaves in Egypt. And if it wasn't for God, they would still be slaving away in Egypt. They wouldn't have survived through the desert and they wouldn't have this good land that they now live in. See, they needed to remember where they came from and how they got here. And it's just like how the leaders of this country keep telling uh, uh, you guys to remember your past, right? This new generation has only ever known comfort and security and abundance. It's only too easy to become complacent, to take it for granted that everything will always be like this. So the government wants you to remember the past, to remember where you came from, and to remember how hard it was back then when you were poor, when there was so much, you were so unstable, and how much hard work it took to get to this point, right? So that you will not take it for granted. Now it's the same for us. We need to remember our past. You see, we need to remember that once we were sinners, condemned to hell, and we were rescued not by anything that we had done or anything that we deserve, but we were rescued by God's mercy and grace. And God poured out His love and His goodness to us. And when we remember this, then how can we not worship God and how can we not thank God and give our lives to Him? See, when we think of where we would be now if not for God, how can we be proud and self-sufficient and think that everything that we have is ours and comes by our own effort? So it's, it's good, you know, it's well and good for us to tell ourselves, I thank God, I'm grateful to God. But that's not enough. See, we need to show that we are grateful to God in how we live. And to do that, we have to obey God's commands to be generous and to not make wealth into our idol. And we need to not worship the gifts that God has given to us, but worship God Himself. And we need to live in a way that shows that we are more concerned about pleasing God than with accumulating wealth. See, in the Old Testament, obeying God meant being generous. There's so many laws in the Old Testament and in Deuteronomy that we haven't got time to look at. There's so many laws 
which tell the people to be generous. Okay, you might see some of them in your Bible study um, if you have done some this week. Now for us who live in the New Testament, God's command is the same to us. God wants us to be generous. So I'll show you a passage from 1 Timothy, up here, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So let us remember God. Let's remember Him not just with our lips, but with our lives. So has God blessed you with money? Well then, be generous with your money, give to those who are in need, and give to do the work of God. Has God blessed you with a house? Well then, use your house to be hospitable, to build friendships, and from there to invite people into God's kingdom. Don't take the attitude, this is all mine, mine, I'm going to do with it whatever I want. But tell yourself, this is from God. What does God want me to do with this? So how can we know that our money and our possessions haven't become our God? Well, it's when we are willing to give it away. See, when we are willing to give it away, we are willing to use it for the sake of others, then we know that we are not attached to it. And we know that it's not the most important thing to us. So the test of whether you really trust and obey God is not what you say, it's what you do. See, your actions and your life betray your heart. Good times are a test from God, just as the bad times are a test from God. And so make sure that you pass the test. Now we've seen the two stumbling blocks to trusting God. One is the hard times in our life, when we want to blame God and doubt Him. And one is the good times in our life, and we attempted to forget God and to worship His gifts to us. So whatever situation you are in in life, whether you are in the bad times now, or in the good times, or probably a combination of both, there will be something in your life right now which might turn you away from God. Now in verses 19 and 20, God is warning us of the consequences of turning away from Him. Verse 19, If you ever forget the Lord your God, and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed like the nations the Lord destroyed before you. So you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. If we experience bad times and we stop believing God, stop believing in God and we turn to find our security in other things, then we have failed the test. Or if we experience good times and we stop believing in God and we turn to worship other things, then we have failed the test. If we throw away our faith in God, then God will destroy us and we will not receive what God has promised to give to us. So we need to keep on having faith, keep on obeying God in response to the grace that God has given to us. Now There was an American uh, Christian called David Brainerd who had a very short and difficult life. At the age of 21, he became a Christian. This is in the year 1739. And even then, he had tuberculosis, and he was always frail and weak and coughing up blood. And he also suffered from quite severe depression for almost all of his life. 
And he often was discouraged and felt defeated. And he was a lonely man and he never had the chance to get married. But yet, despite all of this, he gave his life to God. He, became, he was passionate about loving God. He became a missionary to the American Indians. And that was really hard on him because he was sick all the time. He was always hungry and cold. And he died four years later at the age of 29. See, let this be an example of faith to us. See, this guy, David Brennan, he trusted God even though his life was very hard. Hardship in life is not necessarily God punishing us. It can be God training us, God humbling us, God testing us and disciplining us. So let us live by God's words and not by bread alone and let us trust in God's promises and obey His commands. Or maybe you know your life is going really well at the moment and you lack nothing, you're well off. Well, don't be puffed up with pride and don't idolize those things. God has given to you those things. So don't forget Him. Don't live for yourself. But trust Him be thankful for His provision and obey His commands. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, indeed we thank You so much for Your grace and Your love towards us. That while we were still sinners, You sent Your Son, the Lord Jesus, to die for us. We thank You that this is the ultimate proof of Your love for us. And when times are tough, please help us never to doubt Your love towards us, but help us to keep trusting You and keep obeying You. And when times are good, help us not to forget you and become proud in our hearts, but help us to realize that everything comes from you, and therefore to live grateful and generous lives that please you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Amen.